Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Wyoming. I'm Mark Hamilton, your host. Today we'll take a look at that weather and it's still been a warm out there. Also, we'll take a look at cowboy football. We'll talk about Big Piney and Marbleton and the history of those towns. And finally, we'll look at the immigrant spring on the Slate Creek Cutoff. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy the show. Taking a look at Wyoming weather here at the last day of August, getting ready to head into Labor Day weekend. Definitely warm out there. We've turned warm. Cooling off at night, nice, but uh, definitely the weather looks hot on the next uh, week at least. So again, we're getting into that favorite time of the year for us here in Wyoming. I love our fall weather. Absolutely warm in the afternoons, cool at night, get a good night's sleep. And it's just an enjoyable time, especially with the leaves starting to change. A lot of activities going on out there. So again, looks like our Labor Day weekend is going to be warm and dry with a little bit of wind. Taking a look at Wyoming sports, the Wyoming Cowboys were in action last weekend as they made the trip to Champaign, Illinois. It definitely was not a good weekend for the Cowboys. They did suffer a pretty crushing defeat. But again, they were playing up in competition level, I would say. I will find out how good a team Illinois is. Cowboys are plagued with some of the issues they've had in the past. Just uh, offense was lacking. Uh, the run game isn't effective, and they have to go to pass the ball. And again, we have a placement quarterback that came in from Utah State, and I don't think passing is his forte. I'd be surprised that we didn't see the backup in the game. I suppose a little better passer. But again, this weekend they're in action at the war, home opener for the Cowboys as they take on the University of Tulsa. The Golden Hurricanes. It should be a packed house. Looks like tickets are far and in between right now. So expecting a good crowd. It's always a big weekend on Labor Day weekend to get down there. Hope to take in the game myself. Get a little bit of taste of Laramie and what goes on in Laramie. Always like to go to Corona Village and have a little Mexican food before the game. Take the game in and, and just enjoy a beautiful fall afternoon. It looks like it could even be warm in Laramie, so definitely have to have some sunscreen and be prepared for those temperatures. But again, excited to see the Cowboys. Also, a lot of activities are coming up. As we said, our high school sports are in full full swing right now. A lot of stuff is happening. Football, volleyball, everything else, cross-country, golf, you name all the sports are out there. So it's going to be active. Also, it's that time of year where our hunting is starting to pick up here. The bow season has started, if you're a hunter. With the rifle season right around the corner, uh, antelope is usually the first uh, game animal that you'll start hunting here with the rifle. It looks like we have some good numbers across the state, so it should be good. Also, I got to take in some uh, fishing over the last few days. Got to go down to the Casper area on the Gray Reef and go fishing. It was absolutely an outstanding day. Conditions probably weren't as good. The water, a lot of grass in there made uh, fly fishing a little bit tough, but uh, had a great day. Got to be on the water and enjoy it. Um, so it's absolutely, those opportunities are out everywhere. Now's the time to take them in because before long, the only ice we're going to get on is for ice fishing and we'll be inside a little bit more with all this cold weather coming up. But fall is definitely the time where there's a lot of stuff going. Temperatures will cool down a little bit and we can get out there and enjoy whatever hobby you like, whatever you want to do, that's the time to do it. 
Today we're going to take a look at Big Piney and Marbleton, Wyoming. This is from wyominghistory.org by Ann Chambers Noble. Big Piney, the oldest permanent settlement of white people in Sublet County, Wyoming, was named by Daniel B. Budd for the Piney Creeks, north, middle, and south, that flow off the east flank of the Wyoming Range to join the Green River. In 1879, Budd and his partner, Hugh McKay, came through the area when they trailed in a thousand head of cattle from Nevada with plans to ship them east to market from the Point of Rocks in south-central Wyoming territory on the Union Pacific Railroad. Before they could reach their destination, another 140 miles away, winter set in and the men were forced to move their livestock to South Piney Creek to wait out the season. When spring came, they discovered the cattle had thrived on the local grass. Bud decided to stay in the area and soon brought his family. Bud was not the first to bring livestock to the Piney Creek area. However, in 1878, Ed Swan, most recently from Idaho, brought cattle from with the PL brand. That year, Otto Leffler, originally from Virginia, brought five to 7,000 head of cattle branded with the circle. When these cattlemen arrived, they found Dick Fagan raising horses on North Piney Creek. During the early years, most Green River Valley cattle grazed on open range. No one cut and stacked hay, except a few ranchers who cut grasses growing beside the sloughs to feed their horses and milk cows. There were no fences except for a few corrals near the ranch houses. That all changed, though, in the severe winter of 1889-1890, when most of the cattle starved to death. There were three years after the disastrous winter of 1886-87, when the cattle business suffered so bad in much of the rest of the Wyoming Territory. In the Green River Valley, it was called the Equalizer Winter, as a loss from severe weather devastated prosperous and poor ranchers alike. In its wake, most stockmen rebuilt their herd, planning better this time for harsh winter. They grubbed sagebrush by hand, sowed grass seed, and ditched the meadows. This allowed them to grow a hay crop for livestock feed. They placed fences around the cut and stacked hay so the stock didn't consume it before winter. As more land was cultivated and fenced, cattlemen pulled their resources. In 1890, they established the Big Piney Roundup Association. Members allowed their herds to graze in one large group and cooperated on roundups, trail drives, and brandings. In 1916, the Upper Green River Cattle and Horse Growers Association was formed, and the cattlemen continued to pull their labor. From 1881 to 1885, Amos Smith had unofficially kept the mail at the Mule Shoe Ranch, which had been located at the south end of South Piney. Daniel Budd took the post office into his home when a government post office was established in 1886. Mr. Budd was appointed the first postmaster of Big Pine, Wyoming. We do not know whether Big Pine was an error, but the second appointment was marked Big Piney. Budd's post office moved into a general merchandise store he built to supply the increasing number of settlers who were coming into the area. A big room on the top floor of Budd's store was used as the first community hall. Area residents gathered at Bud Hall for dances and other social events for many years. The first schoolhouse in Big Piney, a log cabin with a dirt roof, opened in 1887. It was replaced in 1902 with a modern schoolhouse on land donated by Bud. New frame building with clapboard wood siding cost the community between $1,000 and $1,200 to build and furnish. Because weather often made travel difficult, schools were built or moved to be near the ranch whose children attended their classes. 
Many Ranswives were former school teachers. Education has always been a priority in the community. Big Piney was incorporated on July 5, 1913. The town had a school, church, store, hotel, bar, bank, newspaper, and telephone service. Big Piney's location, though, was a problem. Drainage was bad and boggy areas made travel difficult, especially in the spring. Building foundations also sometimes became unstable. Charles Budd, Daniel B. Budd's oldest son, hoped to move the town to higher ground north of the original town site to alleviate the drainage problem. Charles Budd established Marbleton on the bench in late 1913, but the later town never replaced Big Piney. Named for A.H. Marble of Cheyenne, Marbleton was incorporated in 1914. The two towns were only a mile apart, but every effort to combine the two had failed. The two communities opt to maintain separate town governments, yet shared most everything else. Agriculture, mostly cattle raising, continued to be the primary source of economic support for the two communities. Energy extraction, though, has heavily impacted the towns throughout their history. Drilling for oil started in the area in 1910, though it was proved only marginally successful. Additional attempts to extract oil and natural gas continues through the 20th century, with four economic booms resulting from these efforts in the 1920s, 1950s, 1980s, and the early years of the 21st century. The area boom and bust, as is generally the case in Wyoming, were dependent upon the economic of far away markets. Big Piney and Marbleton have been fairly isolated through much of their history with the closest railroad nearly 60 miles away at Opal, Wyoming, on the Oregon Short Line, a Union Pacific subsidiary built in 1882 from Granger, Wyoming, northwest to Montpierre, Idaho. When the United States entered World War I in 1917, around 70 men from the area served in France as part of the machine gun company of the 3rd Wyoming Infantry. During the Great Depression, President Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal provided federal lands through the Works Progress Administration for construction of the Big Piney Community Hall. The largest New Deal program in the area was the Civilian Conservation Corps Camp, built one mile west of Big Piney. A few young men worked with the CCC, but most of the men were in other parts of the country. They built roads and fences on the U.S. Forest Service land in nearby Wyoming Range. The town were again directly impacted by world events when the nation went to war in December 1941. The war was felt close to home as young men and some women marched off to serve their country all over the world. Two young men never returned, paying the ultimate price. Townspeople raised money through war bonds, collected materials for recycling, and took war precautions. The young soldiers returned veterans and were soon back at work building their ranches and communities. Big Piney was called the icebox of the nation when it was officially made a weather station in 1930. Big Piney had the coldest year round average temperature in the United States. This title was lost in 1948 when another government weather station was added in International Falls, Minnesota that registered yet colder temperatures. A title was lost again in 1956 at Fraser, Colorado. Big Piney and Marbleton have always taken time to celebrate their heritage, focused especially on cowboy culture. The towns have regularly hosted hundreds of spectators for rodeos over the years, especially on the 4th of July with its chuck wagon days. Local cowboys on local horses have always been featured as part of these festivities, and for much of the 20th century, the crowds especially favored the chariot races. The two towns have independent governments that share about everything else. The schools are located in Big Piney, while the medical center is in 
Marbleton. Piney has the main grocery store, museum, and county library, and Marbleton is home to the new senior center. Both have a few restaurants and bars. Originally, both towns had post offices, though Marbleton was a branch office that closed in the late 1990s. Big Piney registered a population of 552 in the 2010 census and Marbleton 1,094. Big Piney and Marbleton have experienced relatively small net growth through the decades, though both have boomed and busted four times due to oil and gas. The energy industry has sustained the towns through the 20th century, but agriculture, especially cattle and ranching, remains a mainstay. And finally today, we're going to look at Immigrant Spring on the Slate Creek Cutoff by Randy Brown. This is in line with the story last week on the hot water in along the trail. In this story, there were several immigrant springs on the immigrant routes during the historical trail era. Two are in Wyoming, and they are only about 25 miles apart. One is on the Sublette Cutoff at the summit of Dempsey Ridge. The other, the focus of this article, is on the Slate Creek Cutoff about 15 miles west of Green River. The Kinney Slate Creek Cutoff was opened in 1852 and was possibly developed by a mountain man, Charles Kinney. A variant of the Sublette Cutoff, this route was established to avoid most of the approximately 45-mile-long desert crossing of Sublette between the Big Sandy and Green Rivers. Instead of heading nearly due west across the desert from Big Sandy to Green, immigrants intending to take the Kinney Cutoff stayed on the Fort Bridger Road and traveled farther down the Big Sandy until they were about eight miles from the crossing at Lombard Buttes. There they turned northwest and crossed 10 or 12 miles of desert to reach various ferrying operations on the Green River. Once across, they continued upstream seven or eight miles on the west side to near the mouth of Slate Creek. From there, they followed upstream along the creek for about 15 miles to Immigrant Spring, located in a hollow at the bottom of a steep rocky hill. The spring had no generally accepted name, so immigrants, if they call it anything, used whatever name happened to occur to them at the time. An early arrival, Luzerne Humphrey, stopped there on June 23, 1852. In his diary, he described fishing in the Green River and catching two fish that resembled pike, but without teeth. The road was some sandy, quite hilly. After crossing Slate Creek the next day, he camped at the Mountain Valley Spring about 12 miles away, where he wrote, I cut my name in the rocks of the bluffs to the northeast. Humphrey pointed out the main interest in the spring as for current visitors, the collection of inscriptions on the bluffs surrounding the deep hollow. Apparently there were once thousands of them, but today a careful count finds only about 300 surviving on the crumbling sandstone bluffs with fewer visible every year. A few days after Humphrey arrived, R.O. Hickman saw the bluffs and noted that already there were thousands of inscriptions. On June 29, 1852, he wrote, This place was one of the most singular-looking places I'd seen yet. It is called the Indian Springs. There was a most beautiful spring of pure water flowing the foot of the mountain, and the bluffs along the north were composed of a soft substance resembling both chalk and lime, and carved so full of names that I could hardly find room to register my own. The next year... Amelia Knight's motherly report described a long day of travel, 20 miles in her diary, entry of June 30, 1853. She spoke of camping near a clear, cold spring of good water, grass plenty, and dry sagebrush to burn. The children have climbed a mountain to see the sunset. The mountain 
probably was just the top of a bluff on the north side of the spring. John Murray got there about three weeks later, and on July 19th, made note of a gigantic sagebrush growing in the hollow. He wrote, The hills look red, and where we came from, into the first deep hollow, the ground was all red. A most beautiful cold spring gushed out of the hills, 50 or 60 feet above the road. Here the red-topped Oregon Company were camped. About there in the hollows was the largest sagebrush I'd ever saw, 5 to 6 foot high and 46 inches thick at the ground. If anything, Murray underestimated the height of some of the sage. Today, much of it appears to be as tall as 10 or 12 foot, and a visitor could almost get lost in what seemed like a forest of sagebrush. Even after the Lander Trail opened in 1859, the Kenny Cutoff continued to be frequently used. Eva Morris, with her company, was there on August 9, 1859, when she wrote, We are now camped in a valley between some high bluffs. I have just come down a very long and steep descent at the bottom of which is a beautiful cold spring. We camp near it. Just above them rise high clay cliffs and sand bluffs, on the sides of which are written thousands of names. There are many inscriptions dated in the 1860s and continuing into the 1880s, when the cutoff was being used primarily by Oregon and Idaho immigrants, including Emily Towell, who described her experience on July 13, 1881. We saw a band of cattle from Oregon and Idaho, they made us feel much nearer to our destination. At Rock Springs, there were hundreds of names and dates carved in the rocks above the spring. Name of the immigrants who had gone before us. Some of our crowd cut their names beside those of their predecessors. Another immigrant in 1880, Viola Springer, like Emily Towell, noted the immigrants' fast bulletin board carved on the surrounding bluffs. On July 27, 1885, Springer wrote, We camp today noon by a spring where there were some big rocks back of the spring covered with people's names. A side road from the main sublet cutoff on Willow Creek may have passed to the spring, but the generally accepted and most important junction of the two cutoffs was the west side of Slate Creek Ridge. Thereafter, the Slate Creek and sublet cutoffs followed one track, and in about 18 miles, after a steep climb out of Ham Forks Valley, they reached the second immigrant spring on Dempsey Ridge. Just a continuation of the history stories we have on the settlers and their trips here across Wyoming as they settled in the West. And it absolutely intrigues me, the people that had the will to do this, the courage to make these trips, and what they found along the way, and the records that they kept. It is so great to have history and to learn about how our country was settled and how important it was for the state of Wyoming. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today, and we hope you enjoyed our show. As per the Code of the West, we ride for the brand, and we ride for Wyoming here at Let's Talk Wyoming, your everything Wyoming podcast.